Today's reading is from Isaiah 2, uh, verses 1 to 5. That's Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us the way, his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Um, Duncan, such a joy to have you here. Uh, Duncan is with um, City Church Dublin, and we enjoy a really great relationship with them. I'm really grateful to you and to Mark and your encouragement of us here in Grosvenor. Um, uh, Duncan uh, is married to Becky. Um, Ezra and Aaron are his two kids, but Ezra's not that well at the moment. No, he's so. not great. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, we only <coughs> have Duncan here this morning, but great to have you here. It is, it is. Most um, people want my children and my wife instead of me, so. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you're, you're um, assistant pastor at uh, City Church Dublin. Tell us just where you're from originally. Yeah, so I'm originally from Ireland. Uh, I had the privilege of growing up in the best county in Ireland, Kilkenny. Um, so I grew up there um, until I left uh, and studied over in the UK. Yeah. Um, and just tell us, how did you come to know Jesus for yourself? So I was uh, raised mainly by uh, my mum. So my parents separated when I was two. My mum uh, raised us mainly. And, and from before I was born, I was going to church essentially in my mum's tummy, um, going each Sunday. And then at the age of four, uh, in our church, uh, the church I grew up in, we would have a, a little children's slot in the service before we'd go to Sunday school. And very simply, at the age of four, we came forward, was there for the children's talk. It was John 3.16. And I don't remember a lot uh, from that age or from that time, but I remember a distinct realization, I need Jesus. It was very simple to me, just a realization that I needed Jesus. So that that day, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and from there on, obviously, uh, like uh, those who know Jesus in the room will know that it's not all been just plain sailing, uh, but from that point, uh, there was no looking back uh, for me, yeah. Um, well, I'd love you just to tell us a little bit about what's coming up, because I know in Easter, something significant is happening for you and the yeah. family and one or two others. Yeah, so uh, I came on at City Church with uh, the desire uh, to plant out of City Church. Uh, so we have been working towards that. Uh, the church we are planting is called Redeemer. Uh, we are planting in South Dublin uh, just a bit further. Uh, wait, 
that way. Yeah. Uh, Toria, uh, we, this week, for example, we have a community carol service that we are organizing. We're also going into a local nursing home to just serve and be with them, uh, seek to be a blessing in that space, seeking to know our neighbors, seeking to know people in the area, building up relationships, seeking that they might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we have a small group at the minute, and we are uh, looking toward launching uh, in Easter. Uh, so we are just continually uh, growing as a group together, seeking uh, that we might see others come to know him as Lord and Savior. So by Easter, uh, God willing, we will launch and Redeemer uh, will begin. Uh, so we are super excited for that, and we're praying that uh, we would not just be uh, a group of Christians that move to a new area, but rather we would see many people come to know him as Lord and Savior in that area um, who do not know him. So that's where we're going. Well, we will, we will watch on with, with real joy seeing the Lord work through that. And just great to have you here. I'm going to hand over to you. Thanks, Wonderful. Stan. Thank you uh, so much for having me. Uh, it's a real joy to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, please can I encourage you to have the passage open. Um, we want to come um, and hear from the Lord today. Um, it is, as has already been mentioned, it's so hard in some ways at this time of year to actually just be still. That even this morning you realized, oh, it snowed again. Oh, this is going to delay my time in getting here, rushing around, getting kids ready, whatever it was. We can be so disorientated and distracted by other things. But my, my prayer has been that as we come to God's word, that by his spirit, he would minister to each of us, that we would just reflect upon his goodness, his kindness to us. So, so let me encourage us to do that, but let me pray as we begin. Loving Father, I thank you so much that you are good and faithful in every season, that you have shown grace toward us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning as we reflect upon your word, would you do what only you can do? Would you reveal yourself to us through your word, by your spirit? May our eyes see the beauty and the wonder and the glory of your gospel once again. And may our hearts be stirred toward you. Change as we pray for your name and your glory. Amen. I don't know uh, whether you are a fan of Lord of the Rings or not, uh, but in my humble opinion, it is the greatest film ever. And the book is incredible, the books are incredible. And at the end of The Two Towers, there is a scene in which Frodo, who is the main character, if you don't know, is feeling at the end of himself. He's feeling overcome in some ways. They've been on this epic journey to a place called Mordor. And the task is to destroy this ring, this ring that belongs to the evil Lord Sauron. And there is a sense in which this story is all about good and evil and this impact of the ring is having a greater impact on, upon Frodo, the evil power, the darkness. And Sam, his faithful friend, and Frodo, they've been traveling and facing setback after setback. And in this moment, 
with the Nazgul, you'll have to read to understand what that is, <laughs> flying overhead, with their mission seemingly hopeless, with such darkness all around them, Sam speaks to encourage Frodo. And he says these words. It's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way in which it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it is only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. This is just a story. And yet the sentiment of Sam's words, I should hope would resonate with us all. Because in our life, in, in our experiences, we often struggle, struggle to feel hopeful, to experience so much darkness around us, and it feels overwhelming at times. Each of us have felt the darkness around us. I don't know what it has been for you, but you have experienced that. It touches us all, whether you're young or whether you're old here, or mature, let me say mature. It impacts us all. A moment of brokenness you experience personally. A broken relationship. And it, it has caused so much pain and hurt toward you. An incredibly difficult health diagnosis. In which the outcome seems so devastating. Those classmates who just continually mock you for no reason and you don't understand why, make you feel so horrible. The loss of a job that leaves you so confused and uncertain to what the future holds. See, this is life for you and I. And yet the darkness goes even further than just our personal experience, doesn't it? When you look around the world, you don't need to search for the brokenness. War, famine, abuse, the list is endless. Acts of unimaginable cruelty. At times, the darkness can feel overwhelming. We can wonder, is there truly any hope for us, for our world? And yet, when we consider this season, the season we're in, it is a season that is supposed to be for hope wonder and joy and I think we all long for those things we want to feel wonder we want to feel hope and joy we try to experience these things and how we do that often in this season is we fill our time fill our time with friends and family trying to organize special moments going to Christmas party after Christmas party Rushing around to find that perfect gift. Making our plans to organize the, the ideal Christmas day. And it comes and goes and we wonder, how did it happen? Man, that's another year. 
Christmas is gone. (laughs) And instead of hope, instead of wonder, instead of joy, we can feel pretty exhausted (laughs) at the end of it all. Dissatisfied. Because the sad truth is we often focus on the wrong thing. Because the darkness of our world, of our experiences, is not dealt with in these things. Because true hope, wonder, and joy cannot and will never be rooted in these things. All we have done is distract ourselves from the darkness. So what I want us to do is lift our gaze. From the situation we are in, from the emotions we feel, from the experiences we have, from the noise around us, to see God and hear him speak. Because this is actually what he is doing here. This is precisely what God is doing. Isaiah writes this book during the decline of Israel in dark moments within their history, in a moment in which they are facing darker days. Because they're about to go into exile. Assyria is coming to conquer Judah, to bring them from the land, and yet within the darkness, within the brokenness, God speaks. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. You see, for these people and for us, It is in these moments we need to hear God. It is in these moments we need to fix our gaze upon Him and allow Him to remind us of who He is. That He is not ignoring us. He's not absent from us. His love is not removed from us. God is working. God is present unfolding his plans and purposes, breaking through the darkness. Because for us, unlike the first hearers of this, we do not just see what is coming, but we already see what has come. At Advent, we should rejoice both in Jesus' birth and his return. This is what we celebrate, that though, who, though we are traveling with darkness around us, with pains, with struggles, the light has come. Because he has come, we can be confident he will return. Our hope is in this king and this kingdom. Because this kingdom is the kingdom we all long for. An exalted kingdom, a magnetic kingdom, and a peaceful kingdom. An exalted kingdom. Look with me at verse 2. In the last days... The mountain of the house, uh, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. The imagery we see here is toward God and his kingdom. That throughout the Bible, mountains are referred to. Mountains are referred to at key moments, and whether it's the call to Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac on a mountain, or whether it's the Lord meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai, or references to the mountains being places of refuge, or Jesus on many occasions going to the mountain, we we know that this imagery of mountains holds significance. 
The image of the mountain wouldn't just resonate with God's people themselves, but also would resonate with the nations. Because historically at this time, the people would have believed that the mountains were where the gods would dwell, where the gods would live. So the imagery here is unsurprising. It is imagery that would connect. What Isaiah is describing is what God in part has done and is doing. That he is not just abandoning his creation, but rather he is coming. Coming to establish his dwelling. His presence for all to see. To once and for all reveal himself above all others. The one whose kingdom does not compare to any other. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the nations. It will be raised above the hills. This mountain, this kingdom is unlike any other. This kingdom and the king of this kingdom do not compare. It is exalted above every other, lifted up. There is no stopping it. Isaiah is not describing here an idea or an aspiration. There is a difference between saying something might happen and something is going to happen. Because unlike any other kingdom, there is no doubt with God's kingdom. No uncertainty. We can look around this world, the war in Ukraine, North Korea, the unrest in in China and Iran, the situation in Afghanistan. And it can feel so destabilizing. But we should understand that every earthly kingdom has fallen. And every kingdom presently will fall. That is a guarantee. But God's kingdom is not like any other kingdom. He is working all things in one direction. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. God is laying out his clear plan and purpose here. In this moment of of such uncertainty for these people. That though they are facing dark days, there is no uncertainty what God is going to do. Because whenever we begin to believe God is not in control, we miss him for who he is. The God of the Bible is working everything under his sovereign rule. As you read his word, it is inescapable. He knows what he is doing. This is what we are seeing in the text, being exalted above all other powers and authorities that none can question. Yet, I suspect when we think about that, when we actually think about experiences with authority or your perspective on those in power, I don't imagine it's always been positive. I don't imagine it's always been encouraging. What we have all seen and experienced, sadly, is a lot of abuse. Abuse of power, abuse of authority. This is what we think 
when we consider these ideas of power and authority. We can just think about case after case, situation after situation, and it can lead us to despair. But there is a wonderful, clear reason you and I can rejoice in the coming of this kingdom. There is a clear reason you and I can have confidence in this kingdom. Because this kingdom is ruled by the true king. And when we gaze upon the king, we find him to be like no other. At Advent, we reflect and gaze upon the king who does not abuse his authority and power. At Advent, we see a king who does not seek his own interests, but reveals himself to be the one we can trust. At Advent, we see a king who lowers himself in order that we might be invited to come. At Advent, we see a king who comes not to be, to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came as a baby, laying down his power and authority, embracing poverty, embracing rejection, embracing suffering. Do you actually see him for who he is? Do you gaze upon Jesus for who he is? Is this what you are celebrating this Christmas? Are you allowing yourself to dwell upon what he has done? You might have heard this time and time again, grown up with this. It doesn't matter. We need to see him time and time again for who he is and what he's done. The one who has always existed. There is no lack in him. There is no need in him. There is no want. The one who is perfectly in unity as God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus in no way needed to come. It was not for him. With complete power and authority, what we see in the king of this kingdom is a laying down, which is astonishing, which is beautiful. Even though he is the one who has all power and authority, he chooses to act for us. He chooses to reveal his glory and grace, not by domineering over us, not by simply demanding of us, but rather humbling himself. Unlike any other power and authority we have ever or will ever see. Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 says, who though in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. This is the beauty and the glory of the gospel. It is a king who is never self-seeking. A king who gladly lays down his life for those who would come to know him. A king that we do not need to fear. A king who does not and cannot abuse his power 
and authority. It is because of this, because of who he is, he is the exalted one. Therefore, God, it says, because of what he has done, because of his humility, has highly exalted him and bestowed on upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are in a moment in redemptive history, often referred to as the now and not yet. That when we see Jesus come as baby, that he did come and he did bring his kingdom. But we know his kingdom, though established, is only experienced in part. That this prophecy in Isaiah is in part fulfilled and is in part being fulfilled. The day is coming when all will see and know the true king. That there will be no more questioning, no more wondering. All will see him as the one who is exalted above all others, with all power and authority. Do you belong to this kingdom? That is the simple question here. Is your life actually orientated around this king and this kingdom? What is clear is we either are or we aren't. And the truth is, if you actually see him, if we gaze upon him and his kingdom, then our response is clear. We are drawn to it and transformed by it because it is a magnetic kingdom. Look at the second half of verse 2. And all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Notice what is happening here. The nations are flowing up the mountain. Now, you might not be a fan of geography. It's okay. But... If you know anything about rivers, you know that they flow downstream, not uphill. Yet the image is speaking to the attractional nature of God's kingdom. An image of people coming to God, seeing Christ Jesus for who he is, compelled by him and his kingdom, unable to resist his beauty and glory. Because the truth is, logic is not what brings us into the kingdom of God. When you consider your story, if you know and love Jesus here today, if you know him, that maybe arguments, logical arguments helps you. But ultimately, it is more central that we saw him for who he was. That you had a moment where you saw him and he was undeniable. As I shared, it was at the age of four. Very simply, I need Jesus. I need him. For each of us, if you know and love him, that is your story, whatever way that worked out. A moment in which you were captured by his beauty, his glory, unable to resist. Here we see the desire of these people to come to the one true God, that they submit their lives to him. And it is key that even in this moment, when God is speaking to his covenant people, 
we understand that the nations are in view. That from the beginning, God has a plan and purpose, not for one single ethnicity, not for one singular people group, but people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The God of people, the God of creation, longing for people to come to him. The challenge, I think, for us here needs to be as you know and love Jesus, is this your heart? Is this something you are united to God in? Do you really have a heart to see men, women, children, young people come to know him as Lord and Savior? Do you have a heart for the nations, people in our world, in our country, who have never heard the gospel? Do you have a longing that others might come to know him as Lord and Savior? Because this is God's heart. And if we are to come to know him as Lord and Savior, then our hearts should be for what he is for. That we should be passionate to be used by him for his glory and the good of all people. This should be a joy for us. We cannot and should not try to pretend this is for someone else. If you know and love Jesus, then this is a call to you. What is happening here among those who have come and heard the invitation? What does it say? Come, let us go up the mountain to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Do you see what's happening? The people are proclaiming those words. Come, let us go up. This is not God saying those words. It is the people who have come to know him declaring to others, come. The question for you and me is so simple. Who are you inviting to come? Who are you longing would come to know him? Who are you pursuing might see Jesus Christ for who he is? Because if we truly appreciate what God has done, we will be unable to contain it. If our hearts are captured by him, the only way we've been invited to come, the only way we can invite others to come is because he chose to come. A few chapters later in Isaiah, we see Isaiah and he's, he's in this vision and he's before the Lord God. The glory of God before him. And he says, Woe is me, for I am, a, I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Before a holy God, we need to realize and appreciate none of us could stand. That all due to our rejection of God, the creator God, due to our desire to live our way, we deserve his wrath and judgment. Because what is happening here is astonishing. But it is only astonishing if we see our need. If we realize what we actually deserve. Many people flowing up to be with their God, invited to come, not because they are worthy, not because we deserve it, but because he has acted. 
He has done what none of us could ever do. He has done what none of us could have imagined he would do. That the King of Kings and Lord of Lords acts for us. Because the only way we are able to go up that hill toward our God is because he chose to go up another. The hill of Calvary facing our judgment and rejection. The death that he faced for us upon that cross. God's wrath poured out upon his son. The wrath we deserved. Choosing to embrace it in order that you and I could declare, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Do you know how tragic it is when we take this for granted? When we take what Christ has won for us for granted. That we can come to God himself. Invited in, declared righteous, his sons and daughters. All because of Jesus. Brother, sister in Christ, do not let this Advent season just pass by. Let us not neglect what Christ came to achieve. That he invites us to enjoy and rejoice in. Don't let yourself to become numb toward the gospel. None of us deserve to be able to approach. None of us have earned that right. And yet by his grace we can. Because the role, result of being captured by his beauty is a life that is longing to reflect him. A life that is longing to proclaim him. Because as I shared, Isaiah in a few chapters, when he's in that position before God, realizing his need, notice what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. In his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah realizing his need, his brokenness, all he deserved is overcome by God's grace. And his reaction here is clear. There is no question how he will respond to the call of God. He is ready with earnestness to go and serve his king. Do you realize this should be our natural reaction? To gladly go. To gladly proclaim the glory of the one who is truly glorious. I get at times it's, it's daunting to share our faith. But when we allow ourselves, when you actually allow yourself to dwell upon him and all he has done, the more you do that, the more you naturally will actually speak of him. The more you see him for who he, he is, you will be unable to not speak of him. This is what he does. He transforms us. It is a joy that should be contagious, a joy that overflows to those around us. 
desperate that they might come to know him, that they might come to the mountain of the Lord. As people in his kingdom, we have come under his right, good rule and authority. That we should embrace that. That where he leads us is always going to be for life itself. We do not need to fear. Your life is going to be marked by what you love. And for every Christian, Christ is the one that we should love above all others. Anything else should come second to him. True genuine faith is not mere words. It is a life marked by his grace in how we live. This is slow at times. It, it does not happen overnight. But what we find in our passage are people coming gladly longing to follow him. Often I myself feel half-hearted. Often I feel like I should feel differently. Often we struggle to understand why we're not further in our faith. But what we are seeing in our text is the direction we are going and the destination. That there is a day coming when we will be welcomed home. Do not be disheartened. Don't be discouraged. Know that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That we know the day is coming when his kingdom will be fully realized. In this final ver verses, we see this beautiful picture of where we are headed. A peaceful kingdom. Look at the second half of verse 3. The law will go out from Zion, the word from the Lord, uh, sorry, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. I don't know about you, but it can be so hard to imagine a world like this. A world where there is no war, there is no conflict in relationships, peace reigning completely. This time of year is is often a time that we like to spend with family and friends, those we care deeply for. Our time is supposed to be a time of joy. You know, you, you get up Christmas morning and, and you watch your kids just play so lovely together. You know, all peace is just everywhere in the house, atmosphere of joy. Sitting down to Christmas dinner, everyone's just laughing. Ha, 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 ha. But let's be honest, <laughs> often Christmas isn't like that. Maybe your family's better than mine. Often it's full of stress and tension. The potatoes! What happened to the potatoes? All things like that. And, and we have these, these tensions within family and, and we feel frustrated at someone. It's really anger, but we call it frustration. And it's this time where we're supposed to be loving one another and enjoying together. And this is with those we love the most. So what is more incredible about what we are seeing is that this is a picture of the nations. People who are incredibly different. 
People who have different experiences, different lives to our lives. People who in an earthly sense have nothing in common. And yet they come toward their God, united to him, and peace is reigning over them all. That is astonishing. Because the true judge of all has come, Jesus Christ. The one to reconcile, the one to bring healing, the one to restore the broken. Verse 4, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. None can question him in his judgment. As the one who fulfills the law perfectly, as the word made flesh, the one who is fully just and righteous. It is a day in which we will all submit to him, the judge of all. A day in which we will all experience and see him for who he is. And for those who know him and love him, we will know completely the restoration he died to win. It is a kingdom we all long for. See, the gaze here is toward where we are going. This is not just an improvement on our world. This is a transformed world. Look again, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. When I was reflecting on this passage, a friend of mine came to mind and I was like, he's going to love this. He's going to love this section. And I was chatting to him about it and, and he did because this guy, he loves gardening. He just loves it. And he was like, oh, gardening tools. Yay, plowshares and pruning hooks. And he was so excited. He didn't really care about the rest of the passage. But we should be excited. Not because of gardening. I don't care about gardening. If you do, well done. But rather where it's pointing us toward. What is it directing us toward? These verses are speaking of us returning to the Garden of Eden. This is the picture that is being drawn out. A time in which there is no brokenness. A time in which there is no knowledge or understanding of war. A time in which there was no broken relationship. Not with God, not with ourselves, not with others, not with creation. A time in which, instead of fear and anxiety, peace ruled. You should long for this. We have to long for this. How desperately we should yearn for this day. No more strife, no more fighting. Coming under the rightful judge, learning from him, reflecting his character. You see, the more we are able to embrace his rule and his purposes for us, the more we will be free. Free from self-seeking, free from insecurity, free from dissatisfaction, free to forgive those who hurt us, free to love in a way that is unconditional, free to serve others without the need to be recognized, because we entrust ourselves to the one who judges, judges justly. We entrust ourselves to the one who died to make this possible. 
the one we celebrate this time of year in his coming. Realizing his coming was for a beautiful and glorious purpose. Luke 1 describes it, the sunrise, Jesus the Messiah, shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is what we rejoice in. That Jesus came, taking on human flesh as a baby. That Jesus died absorbing our wrath and punishment we deserve. That he rose again, that we might have light and life in him. And that he is returning, bringing his kingdom to completion. And that in him we might experience and know this lasting peace. This is what he offers, a peace that has no end. The cry of verse 5 is a cry to us all. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Why would we walk anywhere else? Why would you want to ignore the invitation that God has given toward us? I don't know where you are spiritually speaking. I don't know if you are trusting in Jesus and yet right now in your faith you feel numb. But my prayer for us all is that God himself by his spirit would lift our gaze to him. That God himself would get it, give us a better vision of what is coming. That God himself would refresh us once again in the gospel. That God himself would give us hearts that are in awe of him. That the wonder and the hope and the joy of this season will be in the one who truly fulfills those things. That we would see him for who he is. That we would be excited about where we are headed knowing that it is certain and sure. This should bring us joy. We are going to experience much darkness in our world. That is certain. At times it can feel overwhelming. But those who know and love Jesus, those who have put our faith in him, we walk by faith in the knowledge of the kingdom we long for. Knowing the work is complete, knowing his return is certain, and that on that day, peace will reign forever, and there will be no end. Let me pray. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the God who speaks through your word by your spirit. So I just ask, that you would speak, that you would encourage our hearts once again in your gospel. I pray that you would illuminate anything that was helpful and anything that wasn't, you would just disregard in our minds and our hearts. Would you be exalted among us? Would we be people who would see and know you in this season, but for our lives? I pray for any among us who is weary, feeling at the end of themselves, maybe facing such deep, dark days at this moment. I pray, would you minister to them? Would you draw near to them? 
but they know with full certainty you are not absent, you are not far, you are with them by your spirit, that you love them dearly, that they are your child. Be with us, I pray, in your beautiful name. Amen. I'd like to invite the band forward, and we are going to come again.